You are welcome to be encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Trimble. Bishop Trimble is on a mission to encourage you with the love of Jesus Christ so you can rise to your highest potential. On To Be Encouraged, Bishop Trimble speaks to a discouraged world with a good word on the pandemic, racism, the environment, human sexuality, and the state of the church with a focus on centering your life on the love of Jesus Christ. Has there ever been a more needed time for an encouraging word to our world? This is your time to rise to your greatest potential and to be encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Tremble. Hello, good people. Welcome to To Be Encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Tremble. Our special guest today for Bishop Tremble and I, Reverend Dr. Brad Miller, is Mark Holland, Reverend Dr. Mark Holland from Mainstream UMC, which is an advocacy group working for unity in the body of Christ in the United Methodist Church, undergoing a time of transformational change, and they are highly involved with all the workings of this whole process. So, Mark Holland, uh, welcome to our podcast today. Thank you, and Bishop, thank you. I appreciate the invitation. It's an honor to be here. Bishop, how about a word of welcome for our special guest today? Thank you. Thank the Reverend Dr. Mark Holland, and thank you for the good work that you do on behalf of Christ and promoting unity in the United Methodist Church. I I tell people all the time, I'm, I'm unapologetically Christian, unashamedly United Methodist. So the things that you write, uh, I, I do I kind of keep up with most of it. And I read, I kind of read, read things from everybody's perspective. But, you know, I was a proponent of the one church plan too, with a lot of majority of the Council of Bishops. But uh, thank you for the work that you do and how you represent Christ. And well, thanks well, for being on the podcast. Well, Mark, as we just thank get into this, give us just a little bit about your just a little tiny bit about your faith story, how you came to Christ, and how you ended up as a clergy person in the United Methodist Church. Well, I'm a third-generation United Methodist pastor. My great-grandfather was ordained in 1920 in Rogers, Arkansas, in the Emmy South Church. My dad was ordained in 1965 in the Methodist Church in Kansas, and I was ordained in the United Methodist Church in 1996, and have been—I actually heard the call to ministry when I was 14. At annual conference, I like to tell people annual conferences where many people lose their religion. I actually heard my call at a church meeting. And so I heard the call then, went through high school and college, went to Southern Methodist University and Islet School of Theology, did my doctorate at St. Paul in Kansas City. So I've been a career pastor, and that's um, all I've ever really wanted to do. Well, Bishop, I know that you are very interested in the work of uh, Mainstream UMC and Mark Holland. So I know you had some things you wanted to have a conversation with him about. Yeah, just uh, Mark, help us uh, understand just a synopsis of the of the genesis of Mainstream UMC. And and I know there was a there was a pause during the pandemic. You're now back directing that work, especially as we prepare to go into a significant general conference, 2024 with a number of things on the, on the table, including regionalization. Tell us a little bit about the background of Mainstream. Well, we started 2018 when the, one church, when the Council of Bishops you know, put forward the One Church Plan. 
we were concerned that the that there wasn't going to be a, a a marketing group, if you will, to really get the plan out and advertise it. Really, a campaign, if you will, to run it an issue based campaign. And I have some experience in politics, local politics, and statewide politics here in Kansas, and. So I know the importance of a campaign and it's, you know, the principles of a campaign, whether it's secular or church, whether it's even a capital campaign at a local church, really the principle is the same, is that we need to get the information in front of people so they can make their best decision. Or as Bishop Harvey was fond of saying at the time, so the general conference can do their best work. So we wanted to get the information in front of people and we were concerned, you know, the United Methodist Commission on Communications UMCOM is is really not able to do advocacy work, right? They're supposed to report the news. They're not supposed to make news. And ours was really an unabashed advocacy for the One Church Plan. So we started that in 2018. We anticipated only working for a year through 19. Of course, when the traditional plan was passed, our board said we've got to keep going. This We, we can't stand by this horrible legislation. And so we re-upped. We worked with groups across the country to elect new delegates, which was very successful in the United States. And then we were really working towards General Conference 2020. And we were on the protocol team. Mainstream, we were pleased to be represented at the protocol. And I was on that larger group and to try to negotiate a separation. And then when the pandemic hit, we did take a break. And we found that there was, a, and when the General Conference was paused, we didn't there wasn't a lot of work to do and there wasn't a real path to raising money at that point. So we did pause. And then we started back up this year. Our board started talking about it in January. And then in May, we did some back, I did some kind of background work to see if there was support. And then in May, the board voted unanimously to restart mainstream. And we started, I started back full-time June one. We've been working forward towards general conference 2024. And and our focus this time is not, I mean, our focus before was the one church plan. Obviously, that that's water under the bridge. We're now focused on regionalization and removing the harmful language are our primary focus points. So a lot of, I have, I have colleagues, colleagues who say that we need to maybe manage our expectations around general conference. I want to know your perspective on that. One, one colleague who's now deceased used to say, General conference is overrated, and when I when I think about all of the conferences, and I was, I remember General Conference two thousand in Cleveland. I was a district superintendent at the time in Cleveland when we hosted the General Conference. And sometimes the change, the rate of change in society is is obviously much faster than it is in the church in the United Methodist Church. Uh, even with the conversations now of AI, you think about how slow we are moving. Even even if we do approve the first step of regionalization. That won't even take place. So I guess, what's your take on whether we should be hopeful or manage maybe our expectations around general conference in terms of what can be accomplished, how much can be accomplished? You know, some say if we just remove some of the hurtful language, that would be a, you know, that would be a, a giant step forward. What's your take on how much can or cannot be done at a general conference? It's an excellent question because I think. I think we do need to manage our expectations. I do think that, that what can be done is not as much as we want to get done. And it's not in our control. I mean, that's something that we as 
Christians don't like, you know, whether it's in our local church or annual conference or the whole church. We don't, what we don't control outnumbers what we do control by a lot. So I do think, you know, we lost the one church plan by 50 votes and we picked up, we needed 26 people to change them. We picked up that many votes, at least that following spring in 2019 with the new elections of delegates. We have picked up more votes with the disaffiliations. So we've had a number of people who have disaffiliated, whose churches have disaffiliated and have resigned their positions on the, on the boards and then on the delegations and then annual conferences have replaced them with centrists or progressives, more conservative voters. So we have, we have picked up the votes and it's the same vote count we had in 2019. So we've picked up the votes to repeal the traditional plan, to remove the harmful language. I believe we have a majority vote. It's going to be a razor thin margin, but I believe we have the votes to remove the language. We don't have identified the votes to for regionalization because it requires two thirds. Removing the language is only a majority vote. Regionalization is eight changes to the constitution. Well, we have to get two thirds vote at general conference. I think that's possible, though it's not guaranteed at this point. And then the ratification has to take place. And the ratification is where I think we is a sticky wicket. Annual and conferences. All the annual conferences. And the way it works, Bishop, and you know this, is the it's two-thirds vote of all annual conference members present and voting, which means at general conference, you know, we've stepped in the international delegates slowly. To, because we would already be a, a minority vote if we had if we had not stepped if the general conference had not stepped it in. Well, we have fifty five percent of the votes at this coming general conference in terms of centrist progressive. Well, the rea- the reality already is that we're forty five percent of the vote, and that reality won't catch up to general conference voting for four more years, but it will catch up in the ratification process effective immediately. And either there's a consensus in Africa to I mean, it's a third of the votes at general conference and almost half the votes at this ratification. Either there's a consensus in Africa for regionalization or it doesn't happen. I believe the bishops are in favor of it there, but we don't have any evidence of delegates or annual conferences supporting it at this point. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm sure you're, you're quite aware because of your work of the messaging that's happening in some corners, basically not unlike what's happening in secular politics now, basically a scare tactics around, you know, what regionalization might mean, you know, you'll be associated with a denomination, blah, 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 blah. So, uh, and, and, and I'm aware that, you know, the bishops are solidly, at least the majority of the bishops are solidly around a United Methodist church. That's a more of a big tent that, that provides space for those who, who really claim a strong identity as being orthodox or traditionalist or conservative without without making them second class citizens, so to speak. So unfortunately, like you said earlier, Mark, we some things we do not control in terms of you know, some of this mess. And I don't know what how mainstream is approaching that, you know, that messaging. Well, our messaging is obviously we are a big tent. We have traditionalists on our team who are supportive you know, who have a, a more conserving tr- view of the scriptures and of human sexuality, who are also compatibilists. I mean, these are words we made up around the one church plan, compatibilist and incompatibilist, people who are willing to live with difference. And we asked, you know, the one church plan was, in, was essentially a regional plan. 
you know, annual conferences could and local churches could stay conservative or stay progressive, and we would live with each other. And the question was, is it enough distance to stay in the denomination? And the U.S. traditionalists said no. I believe the traditionalists in Africa are at least as traditional as the U.S. traditionalists. And barring some, some significant view that they can live with that difference, I don't know that they view ratification. I don't know if they'll support ratification or regionalization. And the messaging that's coming from the other side, you know, the WCA and Good News, who have already been, I mean, the, the bishops in Africa condemned their work, saying they're trying to destroy the church in Africa. It's pretty strong language that the African bishops use to describe the WCA and their African initiative, that the messaging is it's all pro-gay and anti-gay. And that's how they've divided every vote at General Conference for a generation. Every vote has been a proxy battle on homosexuality. And it's time to move past that. I mean, I heard a pastor say, and at our annual conference, Adam Hamilton's the lead of our delegation, and he gave the report at General Conference. And his message was, we need to move from a conflict-driven church to a mission-driven church. And that we need to focus our energy. And this energy we're spending on this conflict is not building the kingdom. And so... That's the message, but the, the messaging that's going into Africa and into the Philippines is if you're pro-gay, you support regionalization. If you're anti-gay, you don't support it. And breaking down the binary approach is very challenging. Yeah, we've been promoting bread. You know, in our conference, you know, focus, keeping the focus on mission, being mission-driven as opposed to issue-driven. That doesn't, that hasn't changed the reality of the messaging that has come through WCA. Some of it is disinformation, and I don't make no apologies for that because I've had to experience it in my superintendents, but it, it has kind of detracted and, and weakened our resolve. Now, not our resolve, but weakened our witness. I think in Indiana, a state that has 4 million people that claim no place as their spiritual home. So, you know, we a state of six six plus million people, and 4 million people who are more part of the the nuns than anything else, you would think that WCA and Global Methodist would have a broader strategy than just trying to disrupt United Methodist churches to to win souls for Christ. There's a lot of souls to be won. Let, let me interject something here just for the sake of trying to extrapolate this to interpret it for that local church clergy and the local church layperson who are struggling with this in their setting. We are throwing, we're putting some words out here like globalization and regionalization, combatalism, incompatible, sorry, incompatible. Right. But uh, incompatible and uh, compatible. And help us, Mark and Bishop, both of you, to help interpret all this for that local church pastor or lay people who are struggling with this because there are st still churches struggling with how they're going to play this out in the local church level. And what really or what real life impact does this 2024 general conference have upon how ministry is done? If we are, you know, if we're going back to this, keeping the mission, the main thing, how ministry is done, what is the real impact there in the local church for that local church pastor, clergy and lay leaders? Well, I think the main pieces, just a question that's a question in our country right now. I mean, I think this whole fight in the United Methodist Church is really just an extension of the culture war going on in yes. the country. And I say this all the time. I don't know what your, you know, we just got through Thanksgiving and I don't know what your Thanksgiving table looks like, but I know what mine does. And we don't all agree. And we love each other and we care for each other and we're family. 
platform, that's really where the local church is. The local church, I've never, as a pastor, 25 years as a pastor, I've never had someone say, well, I'm not going to bake a casserole for his funeral because he was too conservative, or I'm not going to come to their kid's wedding because they're too liberal. When, when we're in the lo local church, people who disagree politically, we worship together, we sing in the choir together, we work at the food kitchen together. Because that's what Christ calls us to do. Unity is not from watered-down mediocrity. Unity is actually a biblical mandate from Jesus that calls the body of Christ to be one in Christ, one with each other, just as Jesus is one with God, John 17. And that's really a guiding scripture for, for mainstream's work. This idea that we're all supposed to separate into clans of like-minded people is not the mission of the gospel. That's not the gospel work. The gospel work is we live with people with whom we disagree, we love one another, we care for one another, and we keep we we stay focused on the mission. So I think that's how it impacts the local church. I've never pastored a church, and I've never talked to pastor you bishop, you've been a district superintendent and a bishop, you know full well what what local churches everyone agree on everything, even theologically, politically. If that were the goal of the church, it would water down the mission of Jesus Christ dramatically. And so I think the message for the local church is stay focused on the gospel. John Wesley says, if we are of one mind in Christ, we can disagree on everything else. So I think, I think that's my message for the local church is we've got to get back to the work of the church and loving one another and not isolating ourselves from one another. I think one of the things we say, and we can't say it enough, is that we are all beneficiaries of God's grace. And people say, well, what's the... That's what's distinctively Wesleyan about being United Method. We are all beneficiaries of God's grace in so many ways. I have a colleague, Brad, you've heard me say this, who used to say we're all are hypocrites just on different subjects. Yeah. So people like to pick out people like to pick out what you're what you're a sinner about or you're but but we but we all that's why we all need to be we all need to be recipients of God's grace. I wrote in my little book book, Brad, you know, the, the very last page. I'm a United Methodist because I don't need all people to agree on all things. And I think local, at the local church level, Mark just said that every church I pastored, I had gay members. It wasn't on. It wasn't a sermon every Sunday. Hey, now who here congregate is gay? I don't know what happened here. So, I, and I, I've had conservatives, and and I can say I've had conservatives and and progressives and. Sagittarians and vegetarians and <laughs> contrarian. So I think, you know, I'm a United Methodist not because I have quarrels with other religions or other churches. For me and for millions of other people, the United Methodist Church still represents the best of all Protestant possibility. So I, I'm United Methodist, and I, you've heard me say this, Brad, anytime because I fell in love with Jesus as Lord and Savior and discovered myself in the United Methodist. My parents were Methodists. My parents were. AME Zion Church, AME Zion in Alabama, when they moved to Chicago, they went to the closest Methodist church you could walk to with six kids. And so it was a Methodist Episcopal church. And so I ended up being United Methodist, but I had a choice to stay or to leave. And I decided, you know, I really like the message of, of grace that is, that is preached, that is proclaimed, and that I have experienced personally. So I say to those who are listening, particularly during this season, that, that you are loved. We have things in our book of discipline that, that are contradictory. That's why we need to make some changes at General Conference. We say everybody's welcome. Everybody's of sacred worth. Then we have a few sentences that kind of 
give people a mixed message about, man, you kind of like you, you, you're a sacred word, but you're not quite. So I think that's why. And I think that's the reason, one of the reasons that a less than 10 percent of, of African-American churches have disaffiliated. Hmm. <laughs> well, Mark, what do you say about this primacy of grace thing when there is so much angst? There's a lot of hostility still out there regarding what's going on in, in the church and within local churches and some of it's politically driven and so on. How can we leverage, you know, Wesleyan grace, you know, biblical understanding of grace when I I just got to say there is some, it seems to me there's some bad actors out there. You know, there's some bad actions and some bad actors out there that are really hell-bent on destruction of the UMC, whatever it shakes out to be. But how do we speak to those, you know, for instance, you've mentioned the Thanksgiving table. How do we even have conversation there? What are some suggestions you might have of how we can find a pathway forward through all this process? Well, I would say Thanksgiving table extends to those who are willing to come and willing to invite, right? I think there are, you know, we, we all have a family member who's decided not to come to the table anymore or has decided not to invite some people to the table. And I think that's what we have in the church right now. I mean, there's no mystery that there are bad actors. The Institute for Religion and Democracy is committed to destroying denominations. They have a branch of the Presbyterian, Episcopalian, Lutheran, and Methodist. And their commitment is to a post, quote-unquote, post-denominational religion in America. It's kind of this, It's kind of this generic national religion that they promote that doesn't have any denominational lines, but it's it's rooted in a in an all or nothing black and white theology, and this group their their goal is institutional nihilism, and you just look at their you know they write things celebrating the division in the United Methodist Church and they call it God's work. I don't think the division that's going on in our church is God's work. I think it's human work of, of folks who are focused on being right rather than focused on grace. So I do think we need to call some bad actors. I mean, one of the, one of the most notorious ones is in your annual conference, who has, is committed to destroying the Methodist church, but refuses to step down from the delegation and is coming to general conference to continue to split the church. I think people who have said, we want other people to leave need to by example. And I don't have any respect for leaders who are saying, you all should leave, you should vote your church out, you should get out of the church while you can, but I'm going to stay in and wreak havoc. That That's sin. That's wrong. And we need to call it for what it is. And that's the, I mean, I think that's the component that we need to call out unabashedly. There are people who have said, not only do we not want to be at the Thanksgiving table, we want to chop the Thanksgiving table up so nobody gets to eat. And that's, that's. And we, and we want to spoil the turkey too. <laughs> that's exactly right yeah we got the turkey got the turkeys running the table <laughs> i think we need to i think we need to be bold in our statement that what they're doing what the ird is doing is wrong the wca and the good news have formed a new denomination called the global methodist church good for them and they need to go grow that church i think bishop's point that there are more nods than there are of either of our groups there are plenty of people out there looking We've never stepped in, never stepped inside the doors of either of our churches. So stop, stop doing the tearing down and go build it up. But what we know, Bishop, what they're going to find out is what we already know. Church is hard on a good day. 
And it's a lot easier to fight. Fighting is a lot more tangible than growing a church. Church is, is a years-long, decades-long lifetime commitment. Boy, a fight sure feels good for, for six months, but it's not the kingdom work. The kingdom work is growing the church. And so we need to we need to go to general conference. We need to win these votes and we need to move on with the church and we need to move on with the people who want to move on with us. Well, just to, so just, just to bring us around to the last couple of minutes we have here together, what are next steps, Mark and Bishop? What are next steps for the church as we approach general conference 24? And then what are next steps for us that may be a step forward instead of backwards? Well, I would say the next step is we need to advocate with the delegates going to general conference to get on the same page, and we need to remove the harmful language. No one's adding language. We're talking about removing harmful language. We need to repeal the traditional plan. We need to stop the trials. We need to stop the trials. We need to stop the division. And then we need to, we need to pass regionalization because it holds our global mission together. And that's something we all value. But we can't we can't hold it together under the terms of the traditional plan, hmm. and so that's that's a big piece. And then the, the the other component is there are folks who want to extend paragraph twenty five fifty three to continue the disaffiliations. I think that's a mistake. I think the people who want to, are willing to do that are not in annual conferences that have been hit hard by the disaffiliations and the disinformation that has driven the disaffiliations. And so I think that we need to stop the disaffiliations. Let paragraph 2553 sunset at the end of this year, end of 2023, and then not renew it and let annual conferences sort it out. I think annual conferences are able. They have the authority already in the book of discipline. And if there are churches that are truly upset, but you know this, you know, all the folks who are anti-gay are gone. They, they left. They've been tuned in. They've been on target. They've been out the door. They're already gone. What we have now are people who just want to be independent. You have opportunists. Um, they're not going GMC. They're going independent. They want their property. They see a, they see an opportunity to take their property, get out from under, and then they can control their pastor and they can control their property. And so they don't want a bishop. They want to be in charge. And that's what a lot of people leaving are doing. That has nothing to do with theology. That has everything to do with wanting a congregational style church. Hmm. Very good. Yeah. I don't think you open the door for opportunists. Well, Bishop, what do you have to say about next steps forward? And then uh, we'll let uh, Mark come back and give us something he's encouraged by. What do you say about next steps, Bishop? Well, I, th I think our next steps forwards, just what uh, the, the quote Mark shared from Adam Hamilton, you know, we need to really just double down on being a mission driven church and not a conflict driven church. And we need to, you know, start, you know, my first step is always breakthrough prayer. So it's so what Sue Nielsen, Kibbe, and other have been initiating, and what we picked up on here in Indiana, is that the congregations that focus on breakthrough prayer or the dynamite prayer engagement movement all of a sudden find new life in their communities. Uh, there's so much hurt and pain right in right in our neighborhoods, in our rural communities, in our urban communities. You know, the average layperson in our church could care less about. Now, the things that, that, you know, most of us who've been to seminary or who have been part of the kind of the leadership in annual conferences, you know, they want to know if their church is going to survive, number one. They want to know whether the church can remain relevant. They want to know, can the church actually grow? You know, I'm, I, you know I, I feel like I've spent the last few years having few conversations around evangelism 
or church revitalization or engagement with new people, except when I'm talking in my ecumenical circles. I feel like I'm not having enough of those conversations in my own denomination. So uh, I think the hopeful part is for us to focus in being mission-driven and not uh, not apologizing for a church that is clearly committed to justice and inclusion and equity for all people. And that's part of our DNA. So so I, I'm, yeah. I'm hopeful because every uh, every every time I have a chance to go to a church or, or recently we had a meeting with our board of ordained ministry and God is still calling people to ministry. God is still calling people, young and older people, to commit their lives to to, to the mission and things that we're committed to. Well, well, Mark and uh, Bishop, we'd like to always kind of conclude our conversation with what you're encouraged by. We've had some pretty, you know, uh, kind of stark conversation here today. But uh, Mark, bring us around. Bishop just said he's a, has some hope regarding the mission. What are you hopeful about or what are you encouraged by where we stand right now moving forward? I think the I'm encouraged by I think the U.S. church has found a consensus. If you talk to people with annual conferences around the country, annual conferences were a breath of fresh air this year for many, many churches all around the United States. Jurisdictional conferences a year ago, November, were much better and a lot of real joyful consensus. We have found consensus as a U.S. church. What we've not found is consensus globally. And 2024 is the opportunity for us to find a global consensus. And that consensus needs to be, are we going to be a global church or in regional, in regional organization, or are we going to go our own ways? My hope is, is that we can find a path to be regional and just share our global mission. Because once we're all autonomous, our budget, the United Methodist budget has zero dollars and zero cents for autonomous churches. Mm. We just don't give money to autonomous churches. We do give money to our global partners within our denomination. And I think holding that global mission together is critical. But if folks don't want to do that, I'm just encouraged that it's a new day. The United, the United the Church in the United States has reached a consensus of who we are. And those who remain are willing to live with difference and willing to love one another and focus on the mission. So I'm encouraged about that. We have a big hurdle at General. Yeah. Well, Bishop, why don't you leave us your final word of encouragement and then close us with a prayer, please. Let me let me take this opportunity to thank Mark Holland. He could be doing something else, but he took time to be on this podcast. And we appreciate and hope that persons who hear this podcast will be encouraged. I'm in agreement with them. I think that those who, who were Methodists have made a decision, made it loud and clear that we're committed to Christ. We're committed to the mission of the United Methodist Church. We want to make disciples, but we also want to transform the world. So I'm looking forward to continuing to live into our theme for 2024 in Indiana, which is to cultivate joy. And I want to share this with folks who are listening from Galatians 5 from the New International Version. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Blessings upon all who will hear this podcast and who will experience the joy of the Lord as their strength. We thank you and thank you for listening to the To Be Encouraged podcast with Bishop Julius C. Trimble and our special guest, Mark Holland. This is the podcast where we look to offer an encouraging word to an often discouraged world. Consider yourself encouraged and appreciated for listening to be encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Trimble. Now, 
please share the blessing and encourage others in your life to listen, to be encouraged. You can do just that by pointing your people to the website tobeencouraged.com. That's T-O-B-E-E-N-C-O-U-R-A-G-E-D.com. Or connect through Apple Podcast, where you can follow, rate, and review To Be Encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Trimble. When you do that, you're doing your part to bring a good word to a discouraged world. Remember, to listen next week, to be encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Trimble, and never forget, God loves you, and there's nothing you can do about it.